and welcome to National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And we have reached the final episode of season five of our show. We have, and it is a great one, if I may say so myself. Yeah, we do try to pride ourselves on having pretty cool interviews with location experts to conclude each of our seasons. This was a location that we've been wanting to speak to for a long time, I think. We have a lot of personal fascination with it. And um, let's just say the conversation did not disappoint. It did not. Aubrey, do you want to break the news? I'm so honored you will allow me to, Emily. Yes, today we are speaking with an expert from Mount Rushmore National Memorial, and we will be introducing him and getting to that conversation momentarily. But this episode is also exciting because it's our 50th episode. And because it's our 50th episode, I can't think of a better time for... Emily and myself to do our first ever joint scream from Parkington Lane because, y'all, we have an announcement to make. We do, and you may already have heard about this on social media, but in case you haven't. In case you haven't, Emily and I are so pleased to share with you that our book, National Treasure Hunt, One Step Short of Crazy, is coming April 2023. And we actually got to make this announcement for the first time at a place that is very meaningful to us. We recently ventured back to our alma mater, Ursinus College, aka the reason this podcast exists, because we wouldn't know each other without it, to make this special announcement. We did. And what a day it was. I I have to say, you know, we got to speak to a lot of classes while we were there, but we also had the opportunity, like you said, to make this announcement. And I knew people were going to be excited, but people were really excited uh, about it, which was very sweet. It really was. I won't, I'll never forget the moment in the the evening panel that we were a part of it was in front of basically the entire class of freshmen um at our sinus and we we made the announcement and everyone in the auditorium started clapping i don't think i'll ever forget that moment it was very sweet (laughs) yeah so y'all we hope you're as excited about this book as we are uh we don't want to spend too much time talking about it here today because you'll be hearing lots more about it from us whether it be on the podcast or on social media but it is available to pre-order now so if you want to pre-order national treasure hunt one step short of crazy we will be sharing the link to pre-order in the show notes for this episode And in case you don't feel like looking at the show notes, which I feel like you should because Aubrey writes them every week and I feel like they're entertaining, um, you can find this pre-order link probably all over our social media. You can find us and this pre-order link (laughs) at NT Hunt Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. We are also available for your listening ears on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere where you get your pods. Uh, Go ahead and like, subscribe, rate, review, do whatever you can on those various platforms to let us know that you are listening with us. Tell us how you feel about this episode and maybe go ahead and pre-order that book. Yeah. So you know one thing you'll find in that book, Em? It's a, a conversation about Mount Rushmore and how it relates to national treasure and how it relates to history. And I think that is a perfect segue into the topic of today's conversation, because as our national treasure hunters know, Mount Rushmore is one of, if not the most important location in National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets, because, spoiler alert if you somehow missed this, the Ultimate treasure, Cibola, the city of gold, ends up being found 
basically in a cavern beneath slash adjacent to Mount Rushmore in the Black Hills, at least according to National Treasure lore. So naturally, we wanted to go to the source to learn a little bit more about the history of this location, as well as about its filming, because there are a substantial number of like views and scenes we get of this location in the final cut of the movie. But there's also a number of deleted scenes from National Treasure 2 available online that take place at Mount Rushmore. And Emily, I know this scene has a very special place in your heart. It does. And, you know, it's it's honestly for silly reasons. <laughs> but I think to me, one of, aside from Riley's infamous moment in National Treasure 1 and his Book of Secrets moment in the second film, I'd say my third favorite Riley moment is when he's standing on top of the boulders at Sylvan Lake and they are trying to figure out how they're supposed to visualize an eagle on rocks. He looks so confused. You've probably seen this gif around, but he's in his puffy little coat. It's got some orange and brown in it. And he is looking around, spreading his arms out, kind of like that emoji that we now have (laughs) on the iPhone, looking just so confused. And it is just peak Riley. Is this not the the caca caca moment? That also happens. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I did not know this was like your third favorite Riley moment. That's impressive. It's so iconic. Well, it it has been um, made a little bit immortal by social media itself in in the form of that gif. But in any case, that is the scene in question that we're talking about today. And we are so pleased to be welcoming to National Treasure Hunt our special guest, Blaine Kordemeyer, the Deputy Director of Interpretation and Education at Mount Rushmore National Memorial. Spoiler alert, Blaine has seen both National Treasure films, and he likes them quite a bit. And you're going to hear more about why in in just a few moments. So, Emily, I think as we start all these interviews, let's share with everyone just a little bit of a teaser. What are they going to get from this episode? You're going to learn about how the structure and type of rocks actually impacted the design of Mount Rushmore. That was super interesting. One of my favorite tidbits was a special ceremony that brought together actors and park rangers alike during filming. And you will also learn about the unique strategies that were taken during filming to ensure that the park remained accessible to visitors. Which was super cool because this is probably one of the first locations we've spoken to where You just couldn't get away from the filming, and it couldn't happen all at night. It just wasn't possible. That is true. (laughs) (laughs) Without further ado, please join us in welcoming Blaine Kordemeyer to National Treasure Hunt. Blaine, thank you so much for joining us here today on National Treasure Hunt. We are so excited to learn from you all about your work and how it intersects with the lore of National Treasure. I'm wondering if you could start off by introducing yourself and your background and, you know, your role at Mount Rushmore National Memorial. Sure. Um, my name is Blaine Cordemar. I'm Deputy Director of Interpretation and Education here at the Memorial. Uh, during the filming of National Treasure 2, I was uh, GS9, for, so park ranger interpreter, permitted here at the memorial. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been here since 2001. Wow, that's that's awesome. So, you know, you, you obviously have a ton of experience with Mount Rushmore. Um, could you tell us a bit about kind of the origins and the history of Mount Rushmore? Sure. So the idea for Mount Rushmore started with South Dakota state historian Don Robinson. He uh, had this idea that he hoped would diversify the state's economy. Um, This idea came to him in the early 20s. Uh, Very first state historian of South Dakota thought that if he could get someone to carve one of these awesome pieces of granite out here in the Black Hills, that people would come here to see them. You know, the Black Hills were already a destination place for lots of tourists. 
Uh, even as you know, people are coming back from World War One. The Black Hills are a destination place. As you transition after World War One, and he getting you know someone to carve something out here to bring even more people. See, back in the day and still today, the number one industry in South Dakota is is agriculture. So farming and ranching, number one industry in the state. Um, um, he thought that if he could change that somehow. Uh, give South Dakotans a better tax base by bringing people to South Dakota, that he should see if he can get somebody to carve something out here to drive in more people. Uh, so the idea is fostered by Don Robinson, but picked up by the sculptor Gutzon Borgum. Uh, as he was let go from Stone Mountain, he arrives here in, in South Dakota um, later on in the 20s and decides to uh, carve this ridgeline, Mount Rushmore National Memorial, uh, before it was named Mount Rushmore, was named a couple of other things, but the Lakota called it um, the Six Grandfathers. They named it for, for the, the vision that Ben Black Elk had in the region. Uh, the Six Grandfathers, according to Lakota culture, is the, the four cardinal directions and uh, Mother Earth and Father Sky. Those are the six cardinal directions according to the Black Elk vision. Uh, that's, by the way, depicted in um, Black Elk Speaks, the, the book that uh, was written by Mr. Nehart. Mount Rushmore evolved through the carving process. Borglum changed the, the idea from, Robert, or from Robinson's idea, which was Western Heroes. Borglum, when he picked up the mantle, he changed the idea for Western Heroes to Presidents. And then chose Borglum chose these four and chose why they would be on the sculpture. Uh, so the carving era is 1927 to 1941. In that time period, the sculpture actually changed um, significantly like nine different times really? from the beginning of the carving to the end of the carving. Uh, adjusting to the flaws found in the granite that were there during the carving era, they just flowed with the carving process until they eventually, you know, handle all the cracks. Um, put them in durable locations to allow the sculptures to last longer. And eventually it was finished or not finished, but it was shut down October 31st. So essentially yesterday in 1941. Wow, that's, you know, we like to think that we do as much research as we can and read all the websites, including the National Park Service websites for these sites. But hearing it come from someone who has the expertise and can add even more color to it, um, is really special. So thank you for sharing that already. Um, I'm sure we'll have a lot more historical questions for you throughout this discussion. Um, something that we did learn about a little bit on the National Park Service website because of conversations we've had with National Treasures creators, they shared with us that one of the inspirations for incorporating Mount Rushmore into the franchise in the first place was their fascination with Borglum's idea to store America's charters of freedom in a vault behind the president's heads. Um, so I know only a very limited amount about this, as I'm sure most people know even less than that who are listening in to this conversation. So what can you tell us about the history and the current status of this quote unquote hall of records? Well, the idea for the hall um, comes with Borglum from his Stone Mountain era days. Uh, he had a kind of a Grecian pillar type of idea that was going to go directly below the sculpture on Stone Mountain, where there would be an inner room, uh, just like he envisioned here. So the idea of the Hall of Records starts down at Stone Mountain, not that they were going to be the same or store any similar type of records, just the architectural idea of the Hall of Records transitions with Borgum from there. Ah. Um, here, um, the idea originates here with what was gonna be an entablature on the face of the sculpture. There, remember I told you that the idea of Mount Rushmore actually changed significantly nine different times? Yeah. The original ideas of Mount Rushmore only had three presidents. Oh. Uh, Washington where we see him, Jefferson was to go to Washington's right and Lincoln where Jefferson is today. Huh. In that original idea of Mount Rushmore, Roosevelt, as, you, as I just showed you, uh, wasn't in that original idea. But coming down approximately where Lincoln's forehead is today, 
coming down the face of the sculpture, a Louisiana territory shaped entablature with 10 dates chosen by Borglum were gonna be on the sculpture. Um, again, starting about where Lincoln's forehead is, uh, coming down Louisiana territory, Borglum chose these 10 dates to represent the first 150 years of our nation's history, which is what the sculpture represents. I keep pointing that way because the sculpture is right over there. <laughs> and uh, coming down the face of the rock, um, 10 dates chosen by Borgum. He gave the entablature, the text of the narrative of the entablature to Coolidge to write at the time, president at the time. Uh, Coolidge wrote it. Um, when the first Jefferson failed to Washington's right because of big crack right there, mm -hmm. um, they flipped Jefferson to where we see him today to Washington's left, which kicked Lincoln to the end. Uh. Um, then there's a spot for Roosevelt. So when Lincoln gets kicked to the location where the entablature was going to begin, the entablature gets canceled. And then Lincoln goes there and then there's a void. There's a spot between Jefferson and Lincoln, which Roosevelt goes into now. Right. Uh -huh. Roosevelt's actually pushed back into the sculpture quite a bit because of the flawed granite at that location. So uh -huh. if you think about it, it's simply you know, many people believe that the sculpture is out of chronological order, which it is, right? <laughs> yeah. and, but it's not out of order for Borgel. So in the idea, when you carve such a grand sculpture in such a massive piece of granite, uh, they're carved in order of priority for Borgel. Oh. So in other words, Washington gets the best piece of granite. Jefferson, Lincoln, Roosevelt gets the worst piece of granite. <laughs> That's why he's pushed back into the corner because of the flaws in the sculpture of that location. Whoa. So when the entablature, because Lincoln has to go there because the first Jefferson fails, the entablature is canceled. And then in a canyon right behind the sculpture is the opening of what was gonna be a place called the Hall of Records. Um, we have architectural drawings of it I can share with you down the road if you wanna have them. That'd be amazing. We have the original, the, the original, um, architectural um, watercolors that Lincoln Borden created of Guts and Son. Um, but we have, um, we recreated them and have um, photo photographs of them in the sculpture studio today. Uh, so we share them with visitors. It's, you know, everybody knows about it. Uh, so the idea of the Hall of Records, let me back up by saying the Mount Rushmore is actually much bigger than the sculpture. There are oh. at least three or four other ridge lines, and many of them are taller than the sculpture. Oh. The ridge line immediately behind the sculpture, separated by this canyon we call Hall of Records Canyon, is actually taller by oh, 25 to 30 feet. And oh, bigger. wow. Um, so in this canyon right behind the sculpture, in the opposite wall, in other words, not into the sculpted side, but into the other side, is this is the opening they worked on uh, it's the summer of 38 and the summer of 39, they started the Hall of Records, the opening. Um, and today it's about 75 foot deep and the walking surface ascends into the granite behind the sculpture um, into that larger dome of granite. And it was only worked on for those two summers. And it's again, not even close to complete. When I share the architectural watercolors of the Hall of Records, you'll see that it's actually supposed to be 80 foot wide, 100 foot long, 26 foot domed ceiling. And in that main space, there were gonna be three inner rooms. And the architectural drawing shows this, the three inner rooms, Borgham had plans for the Declaration, Constitution, and Bill of Rights. Ah. In those inner rooms, um, you know, to the side of, of the, the main space which was going to be filled, Borkham believed, with um, busts and other sculpture that he would create in oh, that wow. space. Um, you know, Borkham is an exceptional sculpture, and a lot of his sculpture has uh, appeared as bronzes all over, you know, all over the country. Mm -hmm. um, so Borkham would fill that space with sculpture of important individuals in the history of the, the sculpting process. We have four of them in the sculptor studio right now. There's um, uh, Don Robinson, the originator of the idea. We have the two politicians that were involved, William Williamson, uh, House of Representatives, and Senator Peter Norbeck. Mm -hmm. And then we have 
essentially the bookkeeper of the project, who was a Rapid City businessman. Those four, um, we have bronze cast busts on the fireplace in the sculptor studio. Wow, cool. In the Hall of Records. Those are Borgum, Borgum creations. Wow, very cool. <laughs> By this... the way, you can go to the Hall of Records. You can see the Hall of Records. We digitally scanned the Hall of Records um, in the summer of 2009. Um, and part of the digital scan of the sculpture were was a, a, uh, a three-dimensional type tour that you can walk. So you can go into the Hall of Records and um, take this tour. Um, if you go to CYARK, C-Y-A-R-K, on their website, you go to the Rushmore part of their website, and you can go take this digital tour of the Hall of Records. Um, oh. now, to kind of complete the idea of the Hall of Records, I know I'm going to I'm going to keep talking. Um, in 1998, uh, when we redeveloped the property, um, a four foot deep hole was sunk at the mouth of the Hall of Records, right behind the sculpture, and in that hole, it's about oh. It's about two and a half by about three foot. So it's a rectangle, four foot deep uh, at the mouth of the hall. There's a titanium box protecting a teak wooden box with 16 slots. Those 16 slots are filled with 16 porcelain enamel entablatures. Um, on the entablatures are the text of the Declaration, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. We added the Gettysburg Address, along with who the four presidents are and why they were chosen by Borglum. Uh, who the workers were, what we believe the sculpture means to the country today, and then it's all sealed with a granite capstone uh, with one of Borgum's quotes on it, um, let us place there carved high as close to heaven as we can the words of our leaders, their faces, to show posterity what manner of men they were, and then breathe a prayer that these records will endure until the wind and rain alone shall wear them away. That's either the first or the second dedication of the sculpture uh, before carving uh, done by Borgum. That's Borgum talking. Wow, I got chills. <laughs> was... Yeah, as someone who loves quotes, that was not only an amazing quote, but amazing that you have that entire thing memorized. I'm sure you say it a lot. <laughs> I do say it a lot. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, there, Borgum had a way of, of speaking um, that kept people on the edge of their seats. Mm. Um, almost every conversation with Gutson, the ones that I've heard of and the ones that we have on tape, you know, are on the bounds of of extravagant. Mm. He, he had a just had a way of mm. speaking that was just really capturing. Wow. How, how apt for him to be sort of a central yet invisible figure in national treasure because they really have a way of speaking in these sorts of grandiose ways throughout the movies as well which emily i think leads you to your next question it does so on air have you seen one or both of the national treasure films and if so how do you feel about the franchise as a whole okay so i've seen both um and I think they're right. I think that anything that incites or um, gets people to think about the history of the nation and the what ifs and the possibilities is a good thing. Mm. Now, deciding what's fiction from real is up to people for people to decide, right? Um, but it's anything not. that elicits responses that helps people dive into the history of the country and the history of the globe is a good thing. Mm. Well, we, we happen to completely agree with you, but we're a little bit biased. Um, <laughs> it's the tiniest bit biased. Um, so because you mentioned that you've obviously seen National Treasure 2 as well, you, you probably know this, but I, um, it's it, Mount Rushmore is initially introduced uh, when Ben, Abigail, and Riley find a reference to Borglum and the Black Hills in the President's Book of Secrets, right? And the mic drop moment of the film is this assertion that, at least in the words of Riley, Mount Rushmore was a cover-up. Uh, are you familiar with any real-life conspiracy theories or urban legends involving Mount Rushmore? Um, on occasion, people will show up 
wanting to know the specific direction that each individual president faces. Oh. And they believe that, you know, the azimuth, but their their line of sight. In other words, if you drew a line straight for their nose, what are they, if they're looking at something in particular? The answer is no. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for clearing that up. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not looking at anything in particular. Uh, again, it's just adjusting to the flaws in the granite. To huh. make the sculpture as durable as possible, um, to move to keep the sculpture, you know, pristine. That mm -hmm. that's boring. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's one that I've heard. Uh, off the top of my head, I don't know of any others really. Um, people often say, you know, they speak of the secret room, right? You know, the Hall of Records, right? Um, and it's not a secret. Um, <laughs> Just because people don't get to go there because the sculpture is a, an icon of our country and and unfortunately people in today's world want to um, do bad things to the icons of our nation um, we don't go to the top of the sculpture and mm. the the canyon behind the sculpture where the hall of records is is chin deep it's like you know 65 or so feet deep right behind the sculpture oh. um, and uh it's up there so we don't take people up there. Well, we get to view it from here. Uh, however, again, uh, the virtual scan, the, the virtual tour and the scan of the sculpture takes visitors there. Um, yeah. You can go there, you can walk into the Hall of Records, see there's four scan locations in the hall. You can see the, you know, the, the granite capstone from the quote I just told you. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. We'll definitely have to share the link to that virtual tour on our social media when this episode comes out, because I think people will be really interested in that for sure. The virtual tour also takes you to the top of Roosevelt or top of Jefferson's head. You can look down in the scan and see the middle part. You can see the tip of his nose and you can go to the chins and look up at the sculpture from the chins. Really? That's really cool. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, I'm really excited to check this out myself now. Not to mention, I mean, you said that the initial intention of Mount Rushmore to, was to bring tourism into the area. Before we even got on the line today, Emily and I were talking about how Mount Rushmore is actually one of the few national treasure related locations we have not yet visited. Mm -hmm. And so we really need to make our way out there and check all of this out for ourselves. <laughs> I'll be here. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Well, you can expect to hear from us hopefully next year about us trying to come out and visit. <laughs> Um, anyway, more on that later, I'm sure. So I'm wondering, you know, the bread and butter of why our listeners are, are coming to this show today. Um, what can you tell us about the filming of National Treasure 2 at Mount Rushmore? You know, are there, uh, is there anything that you particularly remember or your colleagues might remember from the filming on site, like the duration, how it affected operations at the park, anything behind the scenes, kind of fun facts, really anything that you can share with us, we are very eager to learn. The the day-to-day, -day, we did our best to not let the day-to-day -day visitation, you know, be impacted by the filming. However, you know, there's lots of, you know, locations, there's a location right along the presidential trail, Mm. Or um, you know some of the outtakes that that you shared with me earlier, which I enjoyed, by the way, they were fun. <laughs> um, some of that didn't make the movie. Um, right. A lot of it didn't make the movie, actually. Um, but the stuff that, as they were filming, um, we had to separate, you know, the film location from the visiting public. So there were periods of time that we that we created a barrier, basically, of park rangers and answered questions at the locations where we had the location shut down uh, so they could film uh, you know, a good distance away um, to keep the filming location, you know, a spot where they could film well, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> so we created this kind of a barrier talking place to talk about, you know, the filming and, and all the other questions that visitors always have of the memorial. A, you know, Hall of Records related or whatnot. Um, uh, that that was a moving target because they continually had to move the filming location to various locations around the property. One of the locations that none of it made the made the film was the sculpture studio I referenced earlier, where I told you there are the the architectural diagrams of the Hall of Records, which weren't in there by the way at that time. Oh, they they we batted them. 
We added them about five years ago. Okay. Okay. Um, but the sculptor studio was made up to be the visitor center, which, by the way, it was the visitor center from the uh, pretty much the end of World War II, all the way up into about the mid 1950s. The sculptor studio was the visitor center. Oh. And the original scale model of uh, Borgham's original scale model. Once the sculptor studio opened as the studio in 1939-ish, uh, uh, that scale model has always been in that same spot. So hmm. the filming was taking place immediately adjacent to Borgham's scale model. Wow. Uh, in the original sculptor studio. And there are lots of things that the, the film added in the sculptor studio to uh, make it look like a visitor center. Mm. lots of displays there's a there was a diorama of what the sculpture looks like which included of course the the lake behind the sculpture which doesn't exist <laughs> and all of that you know the 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 what would be east end of the sculpture studio had the scale the scale model of the hull of records in it Mm -hmm. which is, you know, what Lincoln made. Lincoln Borgman created that down there. It's And that is the end where they sat all of the, you know, the uh, director shares on that end, and they all had their names on them and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. So I watched some of that filming from back there, sitting in a director's chair in the, you know, in the building. So um, cool. one, of, one of my greatest remembrances of that time was our, our, uh, Superintendent at the time, his name is Gerard Baker. He's Mandan Hadatsa. Um, and he, we had a sweetgrass smudging with all of the actors and actresses um, right behind the sculpture studio. We made the circle and he lit the sweetgrass on fire and we, you know, wafted the, the uh, smoke over our presences. Um, and all of the actors and actresses, part, you know, that were there at the time partook in that smudging. So cool. Yeah, so Gerard Baker did that. Gerard Baker and um, my other friend, um, Daryl um, Daryl Martin, who is Grovat, um, we did a smudging for for the for all of the people involved there. A smudging, a sweetgrass smudging, is essentially removing, uh, bringing positive energy into the space, removing all the negative energy uh, through the process of the sweetgrass smoke wafting over your over your bodies. So that was pretty cool. Oh wow, that's. Yeah, so, I was in the circle. I looked right across it at, at uh, Mr. Cage and and um, the other actors and actresses, and we did we did so much together. That's amazing. I've never heard of such a thing on a movie set where all of the actors are participating alongside mm -hmm. the the workers at a site. You know, we have had the the pleasure of interviewing um, folks at other national parks and other you know. Um, national historic sites that are relevant to national treasure most of the time the whole vibe was oh yeah we couldn't get anywhere near the actors like don't even bother asking we can tell you nothing so that's pretty incredible well that's all Gerard Gerard wow. um, Gerard Baker is an amazing push person um he's well his presence he's like six six um he's probably in his 80s right now long gray braids He's just a he's just a force, just a just as strong a force and presence as as anybody I've ever had in my life. And and it was his it's just the way he is. He just assumed that everybody was going to do this because that's who he is. That's so cool. He just he just did it. Yeah. And everybody did it because it was Gerard. Wow. I, I aspire to have that sort of presence and confidence. So that's, that's pretty, and maybe if I do one day, I'll be across from Nicolas Cage in, in some <laughs> meaningful way. That's very interesting. And so do you happen to remember how long the filming actually took? Was this a matter of days or was it like a week? Uh, they, well, because they filmed um, in Custer State Park at Sylvan Lake, mm -hmm. that's, that's the lake in the movie that's supposedly behind the sculpture, which of course it isn't. Mm -hmm. um, but Silver Lake and, you know, I go there with my kids all the time. Um, I've been, you know, out on the ridge where they walked and they found the eagle and, you know, they stuck, you know, Nick, Nicholas stuck his hand in the hole. And I've been to all that space all the time. It's visitors go there all the time. Um, well, supposedly, of course, in the movie, that space is behind the sculpture. 
Right. And so, oh, by the way, when the when they showed in the movie, this made the movie, um, the people climbing the ladder right behind the sculpture and all of that, I was actually in the Hall of Records sitting there when they filmed that. <gasps> no. And by the way, the actors didn't go. Um, it was the stunt doubles. Uh, really? Okay. <laughs> oh, that's we, interesting. No, we did not take them to the... We, we allowed them to go up into the Hall of Records and climb the ladder because that's, you know, that's in, on film um, from above. Mm -hmm. um, but we did not let them go past the Hall of Records because if you go past the Hall of Records, then you climb a ladder that goes to, you know, goes up above and on top of the sculpture. Mm. Um, so we didn't let them go there. Um, they could only climb the ladder to the Hall of Records. And I don't think we let them in the Hall of Records either. By the oh way, wow! Put them onto the, uh, uh, into the canyon that is in front of the hall. That's really interesting. And one other random question, you know, if if the rangers were sort of part of the human shield to keep barrier distance between the production and and the what I'm assuming were very curious guests at the time, <laughs> um, were you able to actually tell them that this was a national treasure movie, or was that not public knowledge yet? I don't think that was a thing at that uh, time. Uh, I, don't, uh, I don't remember actually. That's fair. Um, it, it could have been. What what year did they film here? I don't remember. So the movie came out in in uh, winter of two thousand seven. So it was probably early two thousand seven. Okay. I, uh, okay. Well, just the same. Um, there were it, the word got out that mm. national that you know movie was being filmed and well because the first one had come out right. Mm -hmm. So um, the word got out that they were filming. So it must have been out National Treasure because the first one had come out. National Tre The word had gotten out that National Treasure was being filmed in the hills. Mm. They had a big tent out in the parking lot and all the, you know, the RVs and stuff like that were out in the lot. Um, good food. <laughs> but uh, the the boundaries of where we allowed visitors to be according to where the filming was like on the presidential trail or down at the sculpture studio um there kind of consistently started to be a group of like two or three people that whenever they were filming at the memorial these two or three people always showed up <laughs> that would have been us yeah okay. like it wasn't but it would have been yeah. if we had been aware uh, there was a uh, one particular person actually um, tried to get as close as possible to the filming location. And this individual actually either went home to wherever they lived or went somewhere else on the property and actually changed clothes so that she could, it was a, it was a female, uh, so that she could get closer, you know, or not, you know, we wouldn't recognize her right away. I'm not sure what that deal was, but she wanted to get as close as possible to the filming. So she would be like literally be standing in front of me um trying to get as close as possible to the this filming location that's so funny Respect. i like to think that we would have been not <laughs> that crazy that intense yeah um but when i can't filmed, guarantee when, anything when they filmed at the studio they actually because the studio needed to be open during the daytime um they filmed at night but they brought in this big boom truck with like huge light bank on it to um, shine in the windows to make it look like it was daytime. Oh, oh. nice production okay. tricks. We love that. <laughs> yeah, we we have heard from a few other, I think, of the of the sites that we've spoken to that you know one of the main kind of not issues with shooting there, but was that you know as you said, you need the park. And the memorial to be as accessible as possible right to, to visitors during the day so a lot of times they would go and shoot at night and bring in kind of these big lights so it's nice to know that that was consistent kind of across the board especially because a lot of the stuff i feel like that they did film here like kind of had to be during the day yeah. and silver lake so they transitioned to silver lake silver lake from here uh, I'm at Rushmore right now. Mm -hmm. um, Southern Lake from here is about 25 minutes, I suppose, by uh -huh. car. Really? You, you take the Needles Highway, which, by the way, the Needles Highway, the, the Needles was the first location that 
if you go back to the beginning of this, Don Robinson thought that the needles should be carved into Western heroes. People like Calamity Jane, Wobo, Hickok, Red Cloud, Crazy Horse, among others. Hmm. Um, but Borgum decided that presidents should be the subject matter and that um, Mount Rushmore should be the location. Borgum made those decisions. So I have kind of, it's going off of this, but I have an additional question. Um, I guess kind of relating to the day versus night shoot that we were talking about. Um, I don't know if you remember, but there's a scene specifically at like the very end of the film where you can, the audience can see fireworks going off by Mount Rushmore. Um, what, did, was that real or... I don't remember the, I remember the fireworks scene. Okay. Mine, uh, uh, who actually works for our friends group was one of the extras and you can barely see her um, in the movie. Um, she's pointed that out a few times, by the way. <laughs> um, but uh, in that day, um, we shot fireworks from the top of the mountain from, by the way, from the Hollow Records Canyon. was the ah. location. So we had to get the fireworks up there. Um, we shot from 1998 until like 2009, uh, and then we took about a decade off and shot again in 2020, um, and haven't shot since. Okay. Um, from again, right in front of the Hall of Records. Uh, so. I don't remember what the fireworks looked like if they actually came up here on because we shoot on. During that time period, we shot on July 3rd. Okay. I don't know if they, the movie company came back up here and took pictures, you know, took video of the sculpture being, you know, the fireworks above the sculpture, because we would have shot that year, um, unless that was one of the drought years that we didn't shoot during that mm -hmm. initial time span, because there were like two years in a row we didn't shoot because of drought. Um, or they put, it seems to me, I remember them looking fake. Mm, um, I could see that. Yeah, I, I, I could definitely see that. I think they were fake. Okay. But again, we did shoot in that time frame. That's uh, really, I, I, I assumed that it would be, I guess dangerous isn't the right word, but I assumed that it would be like frowned upon to shoot fireworks off around there just because I get, I don't know. I guess I thought things could get damaged or something. So the fact that it actually like happened for a while is really cool. Yeah, we shot for a little while. Very interesting. Okay, well, as we all know, in the movie, Ben Gates and his crew end up finding the Olmec City of Gold underground near Mount Rushmore. They near in air quotes. <laughs> so you alluded, I think, a little bit to this earlier with the Lakota, but I'm wondering if you can tell us more about um, any Native American tribes that either currently live or did live in this region and what you can tell us about the significance of the site of Mount Rushmore to these tribes. Sure. Um, so Mount Rushmore, um, the Park Service, um, oh, speaks to just under 25 or so different tribes that are affiliated with the Black Hills area. So anytime we make any big time decisions or mm -hmm. small time decisions, or uh, we consult oh, uh, multiple different tribal or tribal groups, um, one of them being Lakota. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as I look out my window right now, I'm looking across the plains and I can see uh, on a good day, you can see all the way to the Badlands from here, Badlands National Park. Um, and there's actually more Badlands formations than outside the park than there are in, you know, whatever. <laughs> the park's just right over there. Um, but also down to the south, there's Pine Ridge Indian Reservation and Rosebud Indian Reservation, which are, you know, to our, to my southeast from where I'm looking at right now. Um, so there are lots of tribal organizations that, that call the Black Hills home and sacred. Um, the Lakota people, um, Again, we talked about the name of Mount Rushmore that predates the name Mount Rushmore, which is from 1865, by the way, the Mount Rushmore name. Um, but the date 
from Lakota people, or not the date, but the name before, from Lakota people is still today the six grandfathers. And we mm -hmm. talked about the, the Black Elk reference there. Um, so there are like seven sacred sites of the Lakota people in and around or near the Black Hills area. Uh, some of them are right here at Wind Cave National Park. The natural opening at Wind Cave is their origination story. Um, the Buffalo Gap, which is just outside of Wind Cave National Park, is one of the sacred sites. Um, Black Elk Peak right to my west here is a sacred site, home of the Thunder Being. Um, we go up north to Matotipila, which is Bears Lodge. It's Devil's Tower National Monument. Mm -hmm. That's home of the sacred, one of the sacred sites. Um, uh, also up there is um, Bear Butte. It's a state park. It's a sacred site. Um, west of us, just off the out the boundary of the Black Hills region, is uh, Iancara. It's a sacred site. And then there's a plain, just kind of a big grassy area um, that's kind of associated with the racetrack and the racetrack story of the Lakota people. Um, it's it's called Richardson's Plain. It's just near Deerfield Reservoir. That's a sacred site of the Lakota people. So there are seven sacred sites in the Black Hills uh, of the Lakota people. So the Black Hills region, of course, um, and frankly, everything from the Missouri River all the way to the front range of the, of the Rockies was deeded to the Lakota people in the Treaty of 1868. Um, but when, you know, Lieutenant Colonel Custer found gold outside of the city of what's today Custer, South Dakota, um, Crocs factors started streaming into the Black Hills and the, the, the Native American Wars, you know, result of that. And eventually the, the Black Hills were taken back mm -hmm. um, from the Lakota people, even though deeded in the Treaty of 1868. And that treaty is still viable today. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so that's the land back, that's the impasse that we're at right now mm. within the Black Hills region. The, the, you know, still it's Lakota land. Right. Um, it's a it's a huge subject. Um and saying just the word huge doesn't even do it justice. It's mm. it's who knows if it'll ever be settled. Yeah. Well, um, if you don't mind me asking, um, given your role in, in the interpretation and education at, at Mount Rushmore, what are some of the messages or how do you communicate about that, that such a complex issue with the visitors that, that you see every day? Well, we have Lakota pro programming on the property. Oh. Uh, so here at the Memorial, we get about 2.5 to 2.7 million people on the property in a given year. Okay. And about 85 to 90% of them come in the three months of the summer, mm -hmm. so June, July, August. And during that three-month time span, we have, uh, this last summer, we had four out of seven days a week, we have Lakota programming uh, performed by um, Sequoia Crosswhite and Daryl Redcloud for these last this last summer. Um, and subsequent years, you know, or excuse me, earlier years, we've always had at least two days a week where we have actual Lakota folks up here telling the stories of, of their people mm. um, to further um, the, the culture, mm -hmm. to tell the stories of the culture. So the culture continues to move forward. Um, here in the Black Hills, there's lots of Lakota people who live here, still live here, and of course, some out on their reservations. Um, so to tell the stories of the Lakota people in a place where you wouldn't necessarily expect it, mm -hmm. you know, at Mount Washmore National Memorial, which is, you know, some people call the shrine of our country, the shrine of America, uh, the shrine to democracy is what it was coined to, I think, by Coolidge. Um, but to tell the Lakota story at a place that people don't expect it gives it an opportunity to even a greater opportunity for it to take hold in people's hearts and minds because it's something that they don't expect. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's brilliant. You know, I, it, it makes me really happy to hear that you all are thinking so deeply on this subject. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm frankly not surprised and, and just happy to hear about it. Thank you very much for kind of taking the time to delve into that more serious um, conversation with us uh, to kind of, I guess, bring us out of that uh, a little bit. You, you gave us a lot of information that we did not know about uh, filming uh, at uh, Mount Rushmore and the surrounding areas. Have other movies or television shows filmed 
there? And if so, did the on-site filming or production of National Treasure to, like, how did it compare, I guess, to what else might have been filmed? Have you seen North by Northwest? Alfred Hitchcock? I've heard of it. I've heard of it. You <laughs> should go see it. Um, it's, it's out there. Uh, so uh, North by Northwest is a, is a film that is basically a mistaken identity kind of kind of thing. Um, with um, even Marie Saint, Cary Grant, mm. some of it was actually filmed in buildings up here. That architecture, um, those buildings are gone now. The buildings that replaced them are the ones that are here today. Um, so when visitors come up here and they want to see where you know that scene or this scene was filmed here at the memorial, unfortunately those buildings are gone. Um, mm. But one particular scene um, in the in the film, um, Eva Marie Saint um, shoots Cary Grant uh, with a revolver that is loaded with blanks. Uh, and not just for filming purposes, you know, it's it's loaded with blanks so that the bad guys think that Cary Grant dies. Um, then they reunite um, later on in that movie, like right out, like the next scene, they reunite. Um, where, of course, Cary Grant is loaded away in what looks like a, a Park Service station wagon. It's got the Park Service arrowhead on it. And he's taken to a, an overlook um, where he reunites with the female lead, even Ruth Saint. And that filming location is literally right up there. Um, I can see it right out my window right here. Oh, wow. There's an old overlook um, that is right behind one of the buildings that exists here today in this next generation's worth of buildings. Um, so it's just like right there. Um, so I, of course, wasn't here in that time frame. Uh, that would make me really old. <laughs> but we, I've seen the film, of course, multiple times, because how can you not see it, you know, working here at the memorial when so many visitors are going to ask you about it, right? Mm -hmm. um, other things that were filmed in this area, typically it's a smaller crew. Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, National Treasure 2 and the subsequent movies, I, think, I hear there's a three coming out. Is that true? Fingers crossed. Yeah, we have reason to believe the answer is yes. Okay. Well, just the same. Um, that's kind of a big thing. Uh, major, major film company type of production. Other, you know, obviously Mount Rushmore gets lots of filming. Um, most of it's like news related stuff. Mm. Um, occasionally we'll get special interest stuff that talks about, you know, preservation of the sculpture or, you know, various other like tourism related stuff sure. uh, so we're talking one or two cameras at the most uh, with with smaller crews you know and you know virtually no lighting they just pick a good spot and that kind of thing so nothing even i can't believe that you know national treasure or excuse me i can't even believe that uh, north by northwest would have impacted you know the property as much as national treasure two did because uh -huh. that was a monster production so i'm sure cool. it's really interesting to hear and exciting to hear personally i know that seeing the deleted scenes and hearing stories about the filming that happened there that didn't make the film it just makes me more angsty to want to see all of it and there could have been so much more incorporated but i guess we'll take what we can get and that really does as we start wrapping up the conversation i think lead me to my next question, which I think really relates back to the fact that we love hearing that you enjoy National Treasure as a franchise and you think that increasing interest in conversations about, you know, our nation's history, et cetera, is, is really a good thing. So honing in more specifically on the movie's portrayal of Mount Rushmore, um, in particular, how did you feel about the portrayal of the site? You know, you work there, you spend a lot of time there. Um, and based on your experience and maybe the experience of your colleagues, do you think that the movie increased public awareness of or interest in the site? Absolutely. Um, subsequent years after the filming, we had visitors came up here and wanted to see the, the locations that made the film. Um, we had I think still today, somebody jokes up to me next and kind of gives me a ribbing and says, so where's this, you know, the lake? Where's the lake? <laughs> um, happens pretty regularly, actually. Um, really? Yeah, happens all the time. 
you know, getting unfortunately fewer and fewer times when that happens because that's always fun conversations to have with visitors mm -hmm. about what what is Hollywood and what is not. Mm -hmm. like, um, in North by Northwest, there's supposedly an airfield and a house up on top of the sculpture, and of course, that's not real. That's all Hollywood. Um, the lake is all Hollywood from National Treasure too. But it's really fun. It, it's a conversation starter, right? Yeah. Um, like you can go see the lake. You can walk on all the rock. And, you know, I think the little hole is right there where Mr. Cage stuck his hand in it. Um, <laughs> so you can go there. So having those conversations is just fun to do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I remember talking to folks at the Library of Congress, which, as you probably know, also features very heavily in the franchise. And they say, oh, yeah, we still get questions about the president's secret book. The book. Yeah. Where's, where's the, book? the book? You know, we know it exists. And and, you know, they see it, I think, a lot of times similarly to you as an opportunity, as an entryway into conversations about mm -hmm. the site, you know, what does exist, what doesn't maybe the history of it, um, which, you know, we I think that's a great opportunity to be able to get hook people in right <laughs> yeah, anytime any um fun or unique conversation starter as an interpreter you know those are avenues those are mm -hmm. lead-ins to conversation mm -hmm. that actually is me meaningful yeah mm. it's real conversations that are real yeah yeah we it's one of the things that I think we talk about. One of the things that we like to emphasize on our podcast here is the idea of something as silly or as superfluous mm -hmm. as national treasure, what sorts of conversations it can start that can actually be quite meaningful. Um, that's sort of one of our overarching themes of doing this project. So it's kind of cool that um, based on your experience and the work that you do, you um have a similar experience of how it relates, how the work that you do can relate to, to media and pop culture and kind of bring people in the door. And it's, it's really, um, I think encouraging also, um, as you know, someone who's grown up with, with these films and kind of like Aubrey said, just, I, I have this view of like living where you can start a conversation with anything and have really meaningful conversations. And I think that at a place as important to our history as Mount Rushmore, the fact that someone like you is there and is not only willing to have these conversations, but is actively, like you're saying that you're excited about having these conversations, that just, that really resonates with me. It's, it, it's a lot of fun to do. Awesome. Okay, well, speaking of fun, um, we wanted to sort of start wrapping up the conversation the way that we wrap up all of our expert interviews, which is our National Treasure Hunt speed round. So this is a little game where we're going to quickly run through a list of assumptions that one might make about Mount Rushmore based on what we see in National Treasure 2. And we're hoping you can simply tell us whether they're true or false. Um, we've covered some of these throughout the conversation, but consider this sort of your final definitive for the record response <laughs> um and you know you can elaborate as much or as little as you'd like number one president calvin coolidge commissioned gutsam borglum to create mount rushmore false and his name's gutson gutson okay well i'll have to tell dr abigail chase that in national treasure too i feel like she <laughs> mispronounces it as well okay number two mount rushmore is situated in the black hills mountains Yes, they're called the Black Hills. Okay. There's no Black Hills Mountains. Got it. Number three, there's a replica of Mount Rushmore in the visitor center. The current visitor center, yes. Okay. <laughs> Number four, there is a lake adjacent to Mount Rushmore. False. <laughs> Got it. For the record. Number five, there is a known relationship between the Olmec civilization and the Black Hills. False. <laughs> Got it. Number six, legend has it that Cibola can be found at or near Mount Rushmore. False. And to fine, to my knowledge. Oh, yeah. I got to make that caveat just in case. <laughs> and number seven, finally, Mount Rushmore was a cover up. False. False. I'm glad to get that on the record. Feels <laughs> seems important. 
So thank you so much for participating in that that speed round uh, with us. The last question that we like to ask our uh, guests, our experts, um, really hits home with me. So I am really excited that I always get to be the one to ask this question. But um, from your perspective, what do you hope that viewers of National Treasure 2 take away from the film regarding Mount Rushmore or really American history as a whole? Uh, basically that there's always a bigger story. There's always mm -hmm. a deeper story. Uh, what we learn in history books isn't always true. And uh, even if it is true, a history book is only this big. The stuff that you get in school and it's a whole lot bigger and a whole lot more complex than any history class we could ever take. So dig into the spot and learn the multiple perspectives. Mm. What a good way to end this conversation. <laughs> Honestly, I've learned so much. Thank yes. you so much for sharing everything that you did. And I'm very serious. Emily and I will probably be reaching out to you when we plan our own trip out to Mount Rushmore. <laughs> that sounds good. I'll do it. Amazing. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Bye, Emily. Bye, Aubrey. Well, Emily, I feel like five for five with really cool interviews. You know, I just keep thinking that it cannot get better. Yeah. And somehow it continues to get better. Yeah. These experts that we have had the opportunity to speak to over these last five seasons are so knowledgeable and have so many fun things to say, not only about the filming, but about the monuments, memorials, really everything that we've talked to them about. They're also such good sports, you know, being able to field the questions that we plan for, as well as the questions we don't plan for. I feel like something that fellow podcasters might relate to is this idea of sometimes not knowing what you don't know. So you mm -hmm. can only plan for so many questions. And so sometimes we really do lean on the guests to kind of tell us the cool stuff we don't even know to ask about. And I think that was definitely the case here. I mean, I don't know, Em, did you have a favorite moment from the conversation? I, I mean, there are so many, um, but I have to say one of the things that I just hadn't really thought about or, or given much thought to, because it's just how I roll sometimes, is that, you know, this monument was carved into stone, and, you know, there are different types of stone, um, and the monument had to change over time basically in accordance with the types of stone that uh, Borglum encountered during the carving process. Yeah, I had never thought about that either. And and how that influenced even the placement of the presidents. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Um, for me, though, I, you know me, it's the behind the scenes of filming that gets me every time. And that smudging ceremony with the cast and the crew and the park rangers including the likes of Nicolas Cage like the fact that that happened is incredible and the fact that we know about it now is really really fun I really enjoyed learning that little tidbit yeah it was it was very cool uh especially to hear that the cast was so willing to do it yeah that we you love to see it right <laughs> So everyone, we hope you enjoyed this conversation with Blaine as much as we did. And we just want to thank him one more time for being such a fantastic guest on, on the show. And we can't wait to visit him, hopefully, yes. hopefully sometime soon. But hey, this has been the final episode of National Treasure Hunt Season 5. But as we always say, you're not getting rid of us that easy. Never. Never. Season six of National Treasure Hunt will begin airing in January 2023. You know, Em, I think a lot of people were skeptical. Two movies cannot turn into more than two, three seasons of a podcast, right? Wrong. Wrong.
we're, we're still here. <laughs> we're, we're still here. We have more content to cover related to our beloved films. Also related to a new little series called National Treasure Edge of History. You might have heard of it. Maybe. <laughs> and because National Treasure Edge of History will premiere on Disney Plus on December 14th during our off-season, you know we're going to be looking for your opinions on social media. We will be, so please share them. Uh, in case you don't remember from the top of our episode or from the now 50 episodes where we have said this, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. We are also available for your listening ears on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your pods. Like Aubrey said, go ahead and stay in touch with us on those platforms during the offseason. I think you'll be interested in maybe some stuff we have coming. Yeah, we really can't leave well enough alone. So our offseason will be a semi-off season. We do have some very special bonus content coming your way that you will not want to miss. It is film-related. It is Edge of History-related. And it will all be very exciting to you, I promise. And I don't make promises without being able to keep them. This is true. Emily knows from experience. Like <laughs> like when I told her we were going to make a podcast and then a tour and then a book. <laughs> it's all it's all happened. So, we are going on our seasonal break, but we're not really going anywhere. And until you hear us on our special bonus episodes, I'm Aubrey and I'm Emily. And thank you so much for joining us on our National Treasure Hunt. Mm-hmm.